HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. With more than 30 weekly podcasts, HRN has something for every food lover. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners tuning in from 165 countries around the world, about a million listens a month. And today, I know everybody is really excited to listen to the Tech Bytes Year in Review episode. This is the penultimate episode for 2022. And as tradition has it, we take the penultimate episode to take a look at the Year in Review If you wonder what we do with the last episode of the year, we take a look at the next year that's coming. So make sure you tune in next week to hear what we're predicting for 2023. But before we get there, 2022, we have on the show today to talk about that, Crystal Mobiani, who is a longtime guest on Tech Bytes. I was taking a look back in the archives on heritageradionetwork.org. There are tens of thousands of shows. Um, and 279 episodes of Tech Bytes. This is episode 270, 280. Crystal was on episode 126 back in February of 2018, um, which is just so astounding to me. Um, the photo of the show is Crystal in the studio at Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Um, she's a fantastic guest to have for a variety of reasons. Um, she gives great radio. But she is also co-founder of Bento Box, which is the online marketing platform for restaurants, building websites, and all types of marketing and commerce tools to help restaurants really maximize their business. I um, mean, she's one of those great people where her business is the restaurant tech hospitality business. So we love having her on, um, not only because she's just great to talk with, but because it's a one-stop shop of what is happening. And these past few years, you know, with the pandemic really hitting in 2020 and and now a few years later, I'm not quite sure where we are in the arc of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, It's certainly less stressful than it was before, but I don't think it's gone. So hard to navigate, but good news in the 2022 Restaurant Trend Report from Bento Box. They publish one every year for the past few years. It's just come out. 
Um, and it has a lot of great information. So I would say, Crystal, thank you for joining us again. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Um, and every time I'm here, I'm very excited. So Jennifer, thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, it's wonderful. Um, and it's nice. And Crystal's also, you know, a, C a female CEO, woman in tech. And we always love to just promote that here because it's important. So we had you on last year to talk about last year's report. Here we are. This is 2022. Um, I think one of the notable um, things is that, you know, the the set for this report is that it's almost the first full year that restaurants have been, and I'm using air quotes that no one can see, back to normal since 2020. Um, and maybe before we even get into the details of what you have in the report, tell us where all this data comes from and tell us um, in terms of your data source and data structure, how that sits compared to last year. Um, yeah, absolutely. So um, all the, most of the data comes from um, activity that we see on our platform. Um, so most of it's direct, whether it's through e-commerce purchases, tipping information, um, a, a lot on the um, diner behavior and restaurant revenue side and specifically online. Um, and then we take that and we augment that with um, additional uh industry statistics that we're able to find um, in various online reports just to be able to tell the full story, um, especially on the cost side, which I think is a huge thing that's been going on, as we all know, for restaurants and for not even for restaurants, but for everybody. But obviously, we've been keenly watching um, what's been going on with the restaurant industry. And um, and for us, I mean, we uh, there's a lot of trends around uh, diner discovery. Um, um, we've been digging into that a lot more. Um, continued e-commerce trends that have been growing. And I, I would say maybe the, the, the data that we've um, seen a lot of growth in and more because it's, it's a newer part of our platform, not newer as in like this year, but over the past couple of years. And so you really start being able to see trends as you get a few years of data built in, but really on like the marketing side and um, like email automation and marketing tools and um, how restaurants have begun to utilize that more and make it just a part of their day to day to you know, combat um, the comment they made earlier about co rising costs and um, we're all dealing with inflation, but it's um, been particularly hard in the food services and hospitality world. It, it's um, having some hindsight now as you publish this report year to year sort of makes this year's data even more valuable because it's sitting on top of earlier data and you can track trends. This year I noted that um, the data is coming from more than 14,000 restaurants worldwide, um, which is amazing yeah. also, um, just to get, uh, it seems like the, the entry points get wider and wider as time goes by. Um, yep. Again, fascinating. And you know, perhaps with the pandemic in 2020, I, I think probably worldwide people never really quite felt more connected in so many ways in terms of experience and shared resources and and utilizing digital technology to you know replace a lot of in in person transactions and experiences um, yep. of course we are particularly interested in the 
technology pieces. Um, and I note that, you know, restaurant technology was your number two trend on the list. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And you, you just mentioned email marketing, commerce, and things like that. Broadly, what, what are the driving restaurant technologies now? Do you think that it is restaurants are finally adapting to all of the technological tools that are out there to help them? It takes some time for adaptation. I get so many emails from companies, you know, pitching me to be on the show where it's, you know, an AI tech company that's going to help restaurants make more money because of some type of data technology. But I find it really challenging to understand how restaurants actually actualize all that. Do you think the gap is just closing in terms of people getting their hands on the technology? Is it new technology that's better? Is it people are just spending more time on the, their computers and we just understand that there's fewer people. What, what do you think is yeah. responsible for it? Well, I think that there's, there's three pieces to it. Um, one is that I, as transactions for restaurants shifted online, I think the, this one major difference that I don't know if this, it's obvious to me because I'm thinking about it all the time, but I don't know if it's obvious to everybody, but for restaurants to invest in marketing, it's, like anyone to invest in marketing, you want to see the return. And it's a lot harder to see that return um, when you don't know if the person that's walking in the door saw an email or saw the promotion or saw an advertisement or went to your website. You don't know. But as transactions have shifted online, you're able to track that a little bit better. You're able to see if someone opened Mm. an email, clicked on a promotion and actually redeemed it. So I think that that has accelerated some confidence in utilizing um, and investing time in in these different technologies from the restaurant side. I also think that the number two, the the technologies have gotten better, um, meaning, you know, they feel much more, they're much more relevant. They are um, much easier to use. Restaurants feel like that it it represents them. Um, And then lastly, and I, I think as the same way that restaurants started using more technology over the past couple of years, diners did also, they got more comfortable as well. So I think all of these things came together um, to, you know, not completely replace how we did things before, but really evolve it. Um, but I do think that the first thing that I mentioned is probably the most notable and, and maybe just not the most obvious to everybody. It is an interesting comment about marketing and the trackability of any online transaction. And when you said restaurant marketing, you know, there's a part of me that thinks about really old school marketing and PR types of things where marketing for a restaurant would be attending an event and, you know, passing out menus and matchbooks or having people taste a cocktail at a party or Mm -hmm. the very close um, relationship between marketing and PR where, you know, the chef or the owner goes someplace and meets people or, you know, you put something in a gift bag or there's an article in a magazine. And those things are notoriously very, very difficult to track. Um, But technology does. You can track every single moment spent on a website and the clicks and the views and all of that. So that, that makes sense to me though, because then really the question always for things that are like PR and marketing is they seem kind of nebulous sometimes because you can't really 
wrap your hands around them, but you can definitely wrap your hands around, um, you know, 50% of the checks tonight came in through this, you know, third party app or this click or this thing or this email, and then it becomes comprehensive. Um, One thing, a couple of things that I noted um, in that technology bucket, um, revenue from loyalty programs increased 74%. That's like the big, big number in in there. 74% from loyalty programs. Um, That's amazing to me. Is, Is that loyalty programs... Um, from like third-party loyalty programs that restaurants can sign up for? Is that restaurants creating their own loyalty programs um, for repeat customers yeah. or specials? Um, yeah. Yeah, it's mo- it's mostly the second. It's, m- it's m- much more, um, this is tracking our internal loyalty programs that we've created mm-hmm. for restaurants to leverage. Um, and so it's really about repeat dining and getting more people to um opt in when they're checking out. Um, and, um, and we have two different types of loyalty that we offer. And I think one of them is, um, actually really unique and powerful, um, for a restaurant. So one is like the traditional, like, you know, uh, uh, online version of like a stamp thing, you know, buy four, get one right. free, buy this, get $5 off. And, you know, you, ha- you'd use it at your co- coffee shop. But then the other one is you sign up and it runs in the background and it's a, lo- a lot more serendipitous and it, and it's, and it's, uh, created in a way to emulate the experience you have, like when you're a regular in a restaurant and you, you've gone in a bunch of times and they know that they're going to give you a dessert on the house because you're a great customer and you don't know it's coming, but it comes at certain intervals. And it's like those surprise and delight moments. Um, and so I think what's that, what that has allowed is, um, I think that we introduced this in the beginning of the year, but it might've been at the end of last year, um, but it was quite recently. Um, but it's allowed restaurants who may think that like a stamp punch card style um, loyalty program isn't really aligned with their brand, um, start using loyalty in this way that really aligns with um, their ethos and, and the experience they want to provide. And the second event of just tracking your customers and having them run um, on a regular program, that's almost... Um, like an automated version of having a really excellent in-house reservations team or something like that who knows like oh this is the third time this person's been in in three months let's send them something and then you send them something and they do have that so it's actually replicating it sounds like it's a you know analog digital program or algorithm program that's replicating just what good hospitality was back in the day when somebody was writing people's names down, you know, in a ledger or in a computer program, in a spreadsheet. Totally, totally. Or remembering them, you know? Um, So So interesting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Similarly, a lot of revenue from automated emails, which is all marketing um, from gift Mm -hmm. cards. Gift cards are so popular right now. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, again, in terms of restaurants being able to understand how the technology can help them, um, you know, again, two really big numbers in that technology bucket in the report are 52% of restaurants have employed new tech to address labor gaps. Mm-hmm. So where, how, how does that articulate into real life? Um, I mean, I think maybe we understand 
Um, if you have a reservation system on your platform, then that's a person that you don't need to be dealing with that or the automated bots for like, or the automation of like confirming reservations and things like that. Those types of jobs were definitely done by a person. So I can see that, but beyond sort of administrative things like that, what other, what other labor gaps can tech address? Yeah, for, for me, uh, what, and this is one of the ones where yeah, I said, you know, we augment um, uh, our data because we don't, you know, we don't have uh, direct data around labor. But the, in, in terms of how I believe that it relates to um, what the technology is addressing is, is, you know, what we've worked on and what we've seen a lot of is just an increase in integrations. And if you think about it, prior to that, you've had to have a person, you know, download that report or take that order and put it into the other system, whether it's from your um, marketplace uh, online order into your POS or take your sales and then put it into QuickBooks or whatever you're using, um, calculating, tipping, things like that. And um, now, and integrations really, it doesn't, it doesn't eliminate, I don't think it eliminates jobs, but it really just allows you to optimize your staff. So they're, like you said, doing less administrative, um, but also uh, being able, using that time to really just focus on on delivering great service. So um, to me, that speaks, integrations, I think, make up a big percentage of that. Um, So then integrations and also dealing with that administrative component and managerial and, you know, organizational ops side. Yep. I'm going to leap down to number four, which is online ordering, which mm-hmm. exploded in 2020 and is not showing any signs of abating. I mean, the numbers are big, you know, millions of dollars spent increase, you know, 18% increase in direct online ordering and, you know, numbers just up, 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 up. Do you think also part of the restaurant's ability to utilize tech to be more efficient also has to do with the fact that a significant portion of restaurant business has shifted to online? So you need people to produce and package, but then everyone has some ordering POS issue, but not everybody has in-house on-premise experience. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I, I I think that's a you're spot on that that's another area where whether it's ordering ahead of time so that you're it's ready right when you get there or doing in person dining and, and using technology to be able to order so that eliminates time for the staff and addresses um, staffing gaps um, in addition to just traditional online ordering I think that that all comes together to just address but restaurants haven't been able to um, uh, fill the gaps for in labor. And I, and I do, I'll wait till we get to our 2023 projection, uh, projections, but I do have something related to this, which is something that I think is going to be what restaurant, what we see more of. We're starting to see now, but we'll see more of in 23. So I'll wait till that portion. Excellent. You know, and it's interesting also because a lot of the, the, the top five things on the trends, I think really just speak to technology because number two is restaurant tech, which is a lot of sort of the under the hood behind the scenes. But number three is diner discovery, which is something that you mentioned before. And I'm almost 
relieved to see that Diner Discovery is number three uh, and that, you know, 75% of diners pass through a restaurant's website and like to use, you know, search engines for discovery and other things. That -hmm. makes me feel great because that makes me feel like um, consumers are, you know, bypassing the the juggernaut hold of the third party reservation apps and delivery apps where they're looking for something within the app which is fine yeah. but creates its own set of issues for restaurants um if they're going you know to the internet and just looking through a search engine and discover the restaurant's website like that then it creates a much more direct path for everything not just for that single dining experience, but as you know, you know, with the marketing pieces and everything, the more restaurants can own their own customer journey and all the pieces yes. of it, the better. Um, yeah. What do you think that's due yeah. to? I mean, I would almost, that surprised me so much um, because I would have assumed that people are finding restaurants through their apps or through Instagram or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that, um, I don't think the Instagram thing is wrong. But I do think that there's there's two two things. One is that um, kind of the app hype is is dying down a bit, and and that's what's causing us to settle into direct and owned channels. Um, and and then I think that there is um, discovery, even if it happens not directly on a website. I mean, that's the place that the channel that the restaurant owns that you can then transact, book, whatever you're going to do, however you're going to interact with them is going to happen most likely on their website. Um, And so I think that a lot of content like social media on Instagram, editorial, word of mouth, all of that is driving to these direct owned channels, which, you know, ultimately becomes um, the website. Uh, so I think, and then I also think that there's been so much fragmentation with different apps as well. It's like, do you, I mean, when you think about your like go-to five restaurants, I mean, maybe you know this, but most people, they don't know which one's on this app and which one's on (laughs) that app, you know, like you, what are you going to do? You're going to Google it and you're going to find, and I think that's, I think that's great. I think that creates great opportunity for restaurants to um just leverage channels that are more profitable for them we love restaurants to do anything that's more profitable to them and for them um because that will also just have the ripple effect of making you know our neighborhoods and communities better and more vibrant one of my you know in all honesty i you know most of my restaurant recommendations come from word of mouth or i read you know media and i look at things but oftentimes when i'm at the moment where I need to make a reservation or I need to walk into a restaurant, Google Maps is my big discovery. You know, like where am I right now <laughs> or where will I be, you know, after the event or the dinner or the, the- after, you know, the theater, or the movie or whatever it is. And then yep. what's in my ge- geographic location that I might want to go to. And that's how I d- triangulate most of my um reservations and then you're right when i'm looking at proximity it doesn't tell me you know which platform they're on and so you just go to the restaurant um i also it's very old school you know sometimes it's impossible to get a person but sometimes i just like i like to call the restaurant yeah and talk absolutely and talk to a person yeah 
And yeah. that works um, really, really well. <laughs> can you imagine? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, we saw Google Maps gr- drive more restaurant discovery than any other platform. Um, so that makes sense. Um, and then, you know, I don't think, I think there are smatterings of um, voice technology starting. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But, but I think that we're, I think it's going to be a while, you know, um, I think it's going to be a while before, um, uh, restaurants are comfortable enough. And I think it'll be like all technology as it becomes good enough where restaurants don't feel like it's taking away from the experience or, um, you know, taking away from their brand or the service they want to provide, it will happen. But I don't think that would not be in my 2023 trends. Right. So, um, next one, I mean, we touched on it briefly, online ordering. I mean, online ordering was a trend before the pandemic. I don't know if it would have been as voraciously adapted during the pandemic if we didn't already have that behavior and, you know, sort of like consumer comfort level with it. Um, and then it just, I think it's been increased exponentially and it, it doesn't, seem to show really any signs of abating. Um, yeah. yeah, we're seeing more, you know, sh- uh, they're it not going down, but just shifts it dep- uh, to reflect what's happening in daily life. For example, returning to the office, we saw like the biggest increases in, um, in breakfast and lunch, as well as Mondays and Tuesdays. Mm. So I think that that really just points to just consumers' lives evolving um you know going out for dinner but you know get uh getting um making online ordering a part of their daily lives again now that they're not home as much and then i think it's also the time equation too i think the pandemic was people being at home and and having the ability to sort of or the necessity to to budget their time in different ways than they were previously I think the the value of time, the value of an hour, the value of the time it takes to go to a grocery store or order something online or make food or bring it or pick it up or get it and how much that cost up against the time spent, you know, working or not working or doing something else is, I think, part of what's fueled it also. Because um, we're also, I mean, Bento Box is restaurant specific, but also seeing a rise in delivery in just everything else. Yeah. Everything, everything else. Um, we even covered the uh, ultra fast grocery delivery, um, which is a trend that I, I don't know that we really need in New York. Because if you live by a bodega, you, you've always had ultra fast <laughs> delivery. Um, exactly. that, that's definitely perhaps a New York thing. But um, we had the the founder and the CEO of an ultra fast delivery company on at some juncture. I don't recall if it was this year or last year. And I was like, but if I call my bodega right now and ask for like, you know, a stick of butter, <laughs> you know, a can of soup and some laundry detergent, like they have that. And the 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 guy behind the counter will like knock on my door 10 minutes later with what yeah. I need and I can give him cash or a credit card or like whatever it is. And that yeah. that's always been the case. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Well, we, you know, we live in a little bit of a different world in, in New York, but we do. But, yeah. We do. It's We're lucky. More common outside um, New York too. You mentioned um, just sort of in passing uh, decrease in utilization of third-party apps. Why do you think that is? What's what's well, the cause of that? Is it restaurants 
getting a better online ordering game because mm-hmm. of companies like Bento Box and because of Google and search discovery versus app discovery or yeah. are people yeah. less less enchanted by the third party apps because people are starting to realize they're not great for restaurants? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's I, I think it's just a, a combination of these things. I think consumers started learning over the past couple of years about how they can really support their communities and local businesses by by going direct. So I think that played a role. I think um, uh, restaurants taking on um, uh, more direct online ordering as they built demand and shifting their customer base from the apps to direct through promotions or um, and things like that. Um, and then, you know, I don't have direct examples of this, but I do think that as labor, labor shortages become a thing, um, have been have been a thing, I should say, you know, if you're going to if you're going to shut down a, a channel, um, where you get orders, if you're super busy and you can't handle it, you're going to shut down the one that makes you the least money, you know? Um, so uh, even if it's temporarily during a certain time period. Um, so I do think it's just so many different things that have have just created this trend. And I, and I think it's good, um, including also Google. I think Google and the integrations with order with Google um, to direct ordering have just been just been a boon for restaurants. So um, I, I think it's all good stuff. That's a smart thing to say. Um, you're going to shut down the channel that makes you the least money and is maybe costing you the most headache. Um, right. That makes a lot of sense. And as you were saying it, I thought of, you know, I'm sure many listeners of this podcast watched the TV series called The Bear, which is about oh, behind yeah. the scenes of a Chicago restaurant. Um, I know a lot of people were watching it because there was a Halloween costume of the chef (laughs) that I saw (laughs) circulating around. Um, But there's that really pivotal episode where they turn on an ordering (sighs) app platform in the kitchen for lunch orders and everything just goes completely off the rails. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very, very pivotal episode. Um, We are going to take a quick break and uh, pivot and find out who is supporting this episode. Did you know Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit? We keep the lights on and the mics hot out of the generosity of our members, many of whom are listeners like you. We're doing a member drive at the end of the year, so be sure to take a look at that. We have amazing new swag and t-shirts. But we are also supported by lots of great companies who want to support this community of hospitality, restaurants, stories, from around the world and they underwrite programs like this one so let's find out who that is take a quick break stay with us this episode is brought to you by roberta's home of heritage radio network for 10 years roberta's was founded in bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. 
Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. You are listening to Tech Bites, the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network, where we look at the intersection of food and technology. And today we are looking at the end of the year of 2022. It's our annual year in review episode. And joining us is Crystal Mobiani, who is co-founder of Bento Box, which is really the leading online platform for restaurants, websites, marketing, reservation tools, everything that you need, um, and some perhaps that you didn't know you needed. They publish an annual report. We're talking about 2022. Um, and there's a lot of really interesting information and insights that we've seen sort of play out over time this year. Some of the topics we've covered on Tech Bytes, um, some of them are a little bit surprising. Uh, a lot of them, almost all of them, have to do with technology, which doesn't surprise me. Um, Crystal, do you think people, restaurant people, hospitality people, do you think they're surprised when they look at a report like this comprehensively and see how strong an impact technology has on their business from behind the scenes to web marketing, digital marketing, to consumer discovery that doesn't have anything to do with what they're doing in-house? Mm. Um, I think that answer would have been yes a couple of years ago, but, you know, this data is coming from what's actually happening, you know, so they're a participant. What I do hope it, it, it sparks is some just ideas, maybe, um, some aha moments, um, when you do see some, some, uh, trends that potentially they haven't participated in that could be good for their business. So, um, yeah, I don't think it should be massively surprising, but hopefully we'll, we'll, um, give people some great ideas. Another interesting thing about the, um, uh, in the diner discovery piece, you break it down into age groups. So you have 40 and under and 41 and over as the break point. Is that the break point of just consumer profiles or is that the break point of technology? Are they the two of them exactly the same thing? the way people 40 and over use technology, 40 and under use technology to, is, is that the driver? Is it income? Is it um, expectation? Is it all of those things? Just the profile of old school, new school? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, I think it's a profile. It's interesting. Um, the 40 cutoff, um, what I do think that that points to, it's an interesting cutoff because I think that is the cutoff of, um, a generation that, operated in the world and did things very regularly without technology. Mm -hmm. um, and like they were adulting without technology or they were starting to adult. And then, um, and then when, uh, and then a generation that just grew up with technology, and it's really just a part of their lives, you know, and it's, um, so I do think that it, it's, it's, it's the right way to look at it to understand like how you utilize technology when you're in these different, um, demographics. 
Adulting without technology. That should be like a, a you know, an embroidered sweater or something like that. Totally. Adulting without technology. I love it. <laughs> Start like a side merch line, you know, I know inspired I by all these things. Adulting without technology. I really it sounds hard. I know. I feel like I need to do an episode of that in the year for like people who are, you know, shunning technology. I am yeah. still looking for the restaurant that's not using technology that's sort of completely offline that has a phone and a reservation book with a pen and a pencil and writes mm -hmm. people's names down. I've been looking for that for a long time and haven't found one. Um, and I'm sure they're not listening to this podcast, but maybe somebody who lives in the neighborhood of that restaurant is listening and can yeah. send me an email at techbytes tech at heritageradionetwork.org and and tell me that they found the offline unicorn restaurant because I'm sure there I'm sure there's someone somewhere somewhere there must be there must be yeah um, the last thing which is not really I mean it's just a piece of data which I just found really interesting is um, which states tip the best and the worst and I'm not going to shame the worst tipping yeah. states but you yeah. know who you are and shame on you <laughs> shame on you and some of them. We're not surprising. Some of them surprised me on the worst tipping, best yeah. tipping states. I'm, uh, you know what? I'm going to throw shade at New York City, New York. We are not on the best tipping list. Mm -hmm. People, get it I together. Know. I'm surprised too. We are not so many hospitality workers, so much love for restaurants. We are not yeah. in the top five tipping states. We should say that we're not in the top, the bottom five either. I think that's important. So that's true. But I mean, if you're not yeah. first, you're last. So, yeah. you know, to quote Ricky Bobby, like, let's, let's, let's make a, let's make a collective goal in New York for 2023 to be better tippers and try and like make it up to the top five. Um, kudos to Maine. That is the number one tipping state at 13.99%, which still isn't 15 or 20, but there's a the top, which yeah. is great. Yeah. So the best tipping great. states if you're a restaurateur and you're thinking about leaving your state or you're a, a staff person and you're thinking about leaving and you want to go where the tipping is good, top five tipping states in the United States. Number one, Maine. Number two, Kentucky. Number three, Delaware. Number four, South Dakota. Number five, Montana. Hmm. Right? Yeah. So interesting. Surprising. There's definitely a geographic concentration between the... the um, highest and lowest that that I found surprising you know mm -hmm. he talks there's a lot of southern hospitality you know and definitely just, yeah so interesting so then yeah. in-person dining which is good and on the rise which is great and then in-person dining is really also uh dining transactions ordering and paying um, yeah. Online ticketed event sales, an 84% increase in online ticketed event sales. And that is that. special events and then just sort of prepaying a reservation. Yeah. 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 Mostly, mostly events. Like if you have a wine dinner or if you have, you know, you're hosting something for the Super Bowl or, um, a new year's event or things like that. So, um, yeah, I think it's great. I think, and it just reflects you know, people gathering more, being more comfortable with gathering, um, and um, it's a, it's it's wonderful to see. So then we get to trends for twenty twenty three, which 
is great to look at. And then after we talk about the trends, I always I always like to know what Bento Box is working on and building right now because that's the future. Yeah. <laughs> so the first trend is labor costs are going to plateau, which is great. Um, yes. It's been so challenging for restaurants on the um, payroll front. Really has, yeah. Hopefully, that's you know, uh, inflation will plateau, and this will be. Um, Worry seeing like gas normalize and things like that. So I just think it's just a macro thing that will hopefully trickle down. And this 2022 report is framed as the first year since 2020 that restaurants enjoyed a full year of, you know, no closings, people out in the world, no restrictions, sort of a, a normalized year. Um, and then next year, just building on that, right? More just sort of like normalizing life. Yep. Yeah, it is. And then it is. this one is a really interesting one. And especially in light of, um, you know, the commentary of turning off the channel that doesn't make you the most money, the staffing mm -hmm. issues and the cost issues. Restaurants are going to offer periodic online-only service. That's a trend yeah. for next year. So explain to us what that means. Yeah, and this is what I was alluding to earlier about I, one thing that I think is going to be some of the, the, the biggest trend um, that restaurants take on. And I would say that this is a very, this idea of having online-only periods is, um, a piece of, of a bigger idea that um, restaurants are going to optimize and customize what they offer based on demand and what's happening and what they can afford. Um, you know, throttle down the marketplaces when they're getting too many online orders and uh, and just have their direct channels, um, you know, optimized maybe for four tops or or prepaid events. Um, just ways to, or ways to just optimize for constraints that they have on labor and support um, during certain times. Um, optimize their menu for profit versus variety, all day menus, things like that. So I just think that there's just going to be a lot more optimization and customization, and technology is going to help restaurants operate smarter and they're going to be more savvy, um, having an understanding of um, what levers they can pull. Um, and I, I think technology is going to just help them not only understand the choices they can make, but then make those make those offerings as well come to life and, and make them available for diners. So I think it's, it's a very interesting um, concept. And again, something that was accelerated through the pandemic, giving restaurants all these different ways to be able to make money and, and um, you know, customize what they offer. It's a really interesting idea to think about it also in terms of, you know, the idea of like a ghost kitchen or restaurants only doing delivery um, and then also just continuous service throughout the day. You know, a, a restaurant that's open all day long, like a diner or a brasserie or a bistro or a coffee shop, um, if you want to pop into someplace at an odd hour, you know, certainly New York City is full of them. And then today, not so much, um, you know, with the staffing issues and the, the labor issues and the cost issues, places yep. that used to be open, you know, 17 hours a day, now are maybe only open for lunch and dinner. 
um, there are new restaurants that are opening that aren't open on the weekends or open Monday to Friday or, you know, Sunday to Thursday and only for dinner. So having a continuous offering is, is something, you know, probably that people still want. Um, but it doesn't seem like there's the capacity or resources right now to be doing that in person. Yep. Yeah. I mean, there's, you need to have your front of house and back of house. And if your front of house is at capacity, but your back of house has, has, um, has more capacity, makes sense to, to leverage that. One thing that, you know, certainly a company like Bento Box with all of the resources for restaurants in terms of the platforms and technology and the menus and the PO, you know, the the billing and all of that works great for third party, works great for online ordering and delivery, works great for letting restaurants sort of take back their business from third party apps, lets them control everything, understand it, maximize it. The one piece of delivery, though, that we still have not seen evolve is that last mile, mm-hmm. which is fascinating yeah. to me because, you know, the, the entrepreneurial tech world is filled with people with, you know, bold new ideas who want to disrupt, who want to make change. Um, but nobody seems yeah. to want to disrupt and make change to that last mile. So, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's an interesting piece to the puzzle. Um and I'm I'm waiting for the uh, these are turns out that the urine review episode is also you know Jennifer's unicorn guest list. <laughs> uh, who's the person who's going to come and revolutionize the last mile? You know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, mean, I I'm just as as um, you know confused on that one as you. I think, and I think there's a lot of constraints. I think you know labor's tough. It's 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 a very um, you know, difficult business to make work and make profitable, um, which is why so many restaurants, you know, don't have their own delivery people and they leverage marketplaces for delivery. Um, so it's, it's a real, it's a real tough nut to crack. It's so interesting though, because looking, reading this report, it's a really key and growing piece of the pie. Mm-hmm. So at some point, I think someone will have to address it, but we'll see. Maybe that'll happen in 2023. Yeah. Trend four, non-alcoholic beverages. Yeah. That's yep. interesting. Yeah. I think, you know, there's been a lot um, trends um, uh, towards that just in, in the consumer world. Um, and um, it just makes sense that restaurants are going to be able to to capitalize on that. I mean, it's great. You know, uh, cocktails, they're not cheap, you know, and no. now you cannot put alcohol in them and make a good, good, um, good profit. So I think it's, it's, it's a win-win. I wonder if that also just comes out. That's probably also a cross section of things like, um, the voracious, appetite people have for fitness and wellness and all of the different types of workout and eating styles and programs. Many of them include not drinking alcohol, whether, you know, if you're, if you're really interested in getting fit and being super healthy, going to the gym, all that kind of stuff. If you want to be keto or paleo or do the whole 30 or, you know, whatever, yeah. There isn't a single, you know, healthy, well-being, sporty trainer program that says 
and this is your alcohol serving portion per day. They're all like zero. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And with the rise of like CBD and adaptogens and, you know, um, and marijuana legalization. I mean, I think there's just a, there's just a shift in how people unwind. Yeah. You know, that's an interesting point also. Um, And actually I, you know, people who are stopping drinking for all of those reasons, um, yeah, maybe swinging to that, to that piece, to that experience. Yeah. So that's interesting one. The last one, um, which is great and sort of leads to some of the marketing and the discovery things, but also one of these nebulous concepts that I think people sort of understand, but don't understand You'll spend more time than ever thinking about social media. Social media is in that nebulous marketing PR bucket for a lot of restaurants. Instagram, no Instagram, people taking pictures, not taking pictures, holding up the kitchen, what's happening? Can't somebody on staff just manage it? Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a, it's an extension of an owned channel. It's, um, you know, quite cheap for, for restaurants. Um, so I think we're going to just be seeing a lot more of the, well, you know, and, and also newer channels, restaurants, obviously many are on Instagram, but more getting on Instagram, TikTok. Um, uh, so I think it's, it's, it's something we'll see grow. And again, I think that they're going to ultimately drive to the restaurant's website. Um, so I think it's, it's good. So that's the look at 2022 and a quick look at 2023. Uh, Crystal, is there anything not in the report for 2023 that you want to give us some insight into that you're thinking about or something people are, your, your customers are asking for in terms of a piece of technology or something you've, you know, compiled information and, you know, your teams think this is what people need and they don't even know it yet? Do you have, have any, do you have any insider intel for us? I mean, I, I think that we're, I mean, I think there's just been so much change um, and we're seeing a lot of it being adopted right now. And um, I think that's the phase that we're in is there's been so much change and now it's about how do we integrate that and, and help restaurants adopt that. And that's a lot of what we are focused on. Um, so I don't have any like flying drones or anything for you, but, uh, <laughs> but maybe someone will solve that for la- last mile delivery. Exactly. Um, exactly. Um, but we have a couple things that we're, we're working on. Um, we're really, um, excited. Uh, we announced that we acquired a reservations company called next table recently. And, um, we're really excited to integrate reservations into our offering. I think the timing's right as restaurants, um, you know, were very firmly past post pandemic, um, and really start helping restaurants connect the online diners with the offline, um, diners, um, people who buy things on, uh, through online ordering and, and make a reservation and walk in the door and knowing, um, that diner really well. Um, and then the last thing I want to mention, which isn't really a 2023 thing, but it's a, it's a, you know, in two weeks thing is, um, we're, uh, announcing National Restaurant Workers Day, which will happen on December 14th. Um, we found that every year during the holidays, we were really just, um, 
focused on supporting the industry, supporting restaurants. It's the busiest time for them. It's the time when most of the people in the country are relaxing and taking off and spending family uh, with family and they are, they're working and they're serving and they are taking care of people. Um, and so, uh, we wanted to, and we were doing all these little things like, um, uh, uh, getting with nonprofit organizations. We're encouraging our employees to tip 100% and just doing a lot of good. And we're like, we should just formalize this. And we're getting together with a few other tech companies to start formalizing this National Restaurant Workers Day, December 14th. You'll be hearing a lot of noise from us about it in in a couple of weeks. Well, I think that's a fabulous, really fantastic idea. I was out on Thanksgiving. I went to a workout class. I went to a restaurant. And, you know, there's so much talk about gratitude and having a gratitude practice and what you're grateful for, and especially on the holidays. And that's wonderful. And I encourage gratitude in, in everyone every day as, as, as large a capacity as you have for it. But I, you know, have worked on the holidays also being a part of the service industry and people in my family are in the service industry. And you know, I made it a point to, yes, tip well and thank the person who came to work that day so you could have a great holiday, <laughs> you know, so you could have a great experience. And um, yeah, I mean, gratitude, not just for the things you have, but the people around you who are doing something for you. And a lot of that is restaurant people. It takes a lot of people to make that happen, not just the restaurant people, the delivery people, the people who did the laundry, the people who you know, dropped off the bread, you know, people who work the night before are going to work until the you know end of the night to clean it all up. So it's reset for the next day. Um, gratitude and tipping people. Yes, 100%. That would yes. be amazing if there was a 100% tipping day. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely uh, worth it. And I think it's a, a great thing to support. Probably the best way for people to get information about National Restaurant Day and all things Bento Box is to go to the website, getbento.com, or follow them on social media at getbento. Um, it's a great place for information. It's a great place if you're looking for things. And if you're a restaurant person or restaurant adjacent um, and these things make sense to you and you want them for your business or you want to learn more, getbento.com. Um, Crystal, thank you once again for coming back. It's always a this pleasure to talk to you about the business and your business. Um, I hope you have a great holiday with your family and yours. And, you know, definitely let us know about National Restaurant Workers Day, how that's panning out, you know, because we love to support our industries. Love it. Thank you, Jennifer. I want to thank all of our listeners who are bidding on the Heritage Radio Network Holiday Auction, who are becoming new members in our December membership drive. All our listeners who are existing members, thank you for supporting us and allowing the resources to make shows like this possible. Thank you for the listeners. Um, Without our listeners, uh, Kristen and I are just talking to each other. (laughs) I want to thank all the staff at Heritage Radio Network. There are a lot of people who are working behind the scenes in offices, computers at home and studio to make this machine run. And they have done an exceptional job since forever, but especially since 2020, making it all happen remotely. And if there was a way to 100% tip the HRN staff, I would absolutely be doing that. And if you like this show, come back and see us next week. If you love it, go to your favorite podcasting platform, give us a five-star review. 
If you think it's important and critical, go to heritageradionetwork.org, click the beating heart, and leave us a nice tip. I'm Jennifer Leutze, and this is Tech Bytes. This show is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.